I want to talk to you this morning, just have a talk with you if I can, with so many things that's transpiring in our world. I was thinking about all this. I'm probably going to sound to you younger people more doctrinal maybe than, than fun this morning or something, but I think there's something that this generation needs to understand about this book and about its author. And so maybe more teaching today as to preaching, but I want you to, I want you to listen on purpose because if we do not have a, a genuine concept a right concept of God, we will not have a right world view. And all of us have a world view. It is simply how we, how we sense the world and how we think about the world and the value systems that we have developed as children and young people and, of course, adults. So I want to talk to you from Isaiah 40 this morning. We'll read the scriptures in a moment. And let me tell you, keep your Bibles open because we're going to read several times as we make our way through the message this morning. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to minister. Thank you, Lord, for every person in this room that's faithful to you today. May your word just come forth, Lord, with your peace and may it come forth with richness I pray, God, you be glorified in it, and may it bless those who hear it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know that when I was a young boy, up until I graduated high school, I was raised on a farm. I will never forget many, many, many experiences that are, are etched into my mind. But I was raised not to be afraid of hardly anything, and... My sisters were afraid of the chickens. I weren't. I, I just didn't know much fear. And, and uh, my dad would encourage me to try a lot of things, so I just wasn't very fearful. One day when I was nine or ten years old, it was my job to come home after school and separate and, or let a calf uh, be with her mom to nurse. And you'll know that when a cow and calf's been separated, it's easy. You open the gate, no problem. And I had done this many, 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 many times. This particular afternoon, for whatever reason, I went to separate that calf from that cow, and all of a sudden, I was the enemy of that cow. I mean, I heard the beller, I heard, saw the head go down, and I tried to move this baby, and here came Mama with damage on her mind. <laughs> And you've probably heard them. I don't, have you ever had that happen to you? Well, just a few of us. So let me tell you. Suddenly, I felt the Lord say, it's time for you to leave. I just felt led of the Lord to leave. And uh, that cow came at me as fast as she could. We had, we had two by uh, 14 big uh, timbers on this corral with cross ties. It was, there wasn't no way she'd get out. I... About that high off the ground, and I did a nosedive and slid under, and she actually hit the wood and all that, and bellered and, bawled and dug up the dirt. All of a sudden, I was full of fear. I, I, just, I, was, I was paralyzed with fear. And I took off running to the house about 80 yards away, and I brought Mom. And I said, Mom, she's dead. Oh, son, we'll be all right. So I said, Mom, just in case, I'm going to open the gate. Because let me tell you something. I was more afraid of my dad than the cow because he said separate him. And so I said, I'll stay at the gate. You go separate them. And if she runs at you, I'll open the gate. My mom went, oh, son, it's all right. She walked out there. She got about 20, 30 feet in that corral. And here came mom. 
And she bowed that head and made that sound, and my mom heard the same voice I did a little bit earlier. This is not the will of God for the next few seconds for your life. I opened the gate, she said, I slammed it. And we both went back to the house just nearly pouting. I was scared to death. Dad came home, had dinner, told him about it. Oh, you just, no, not liked anything. So, come on, let's go do this. He decided Mom and I should go and we should watch this. So I said, Dad, I'm going to hold the gate just in case, okay? I know you're wondering what happened, don't you? <laughs> My dad walked in there. Now, he's about 6'1 or so and weigh about 240 pounds and all that. And he's a pretty good-sized guy. He walked up and he said to the cat, Ha! Get out of the way! And he grabbed that little cap by the ear and put it in the pen and walked in. And nothing happened. <laughs> Made me feel like a man. <laughs> it's amazing. I... I couldn't believe it. And he said, son, she just bluffed you. She just bluffed you. If you stand up to her. So you know what he did? He said, come in here. And I went, no. Come in here. Stand beside me. And we decided to walk toward the cow. And I felt really good with dad beside me. He said, ah, get out of the way. Get out of the way. And we ran the old cow. Okay. Okay. That was in spring. Fast forward to the fall. We had to pick up pecans on this place to pay our taxes and all that kind of stuff. And we were out of school many days. A lot of times we were picking me and my two sisters at the time and later a third sister. We had to pick up pecans all the time. We'd put them in big sacks, stack them upside the pecan trees. We'd come back later and pick them up in a pickup. On one evening, we had two or three sacks, probably 100, 150 pounds each. The cattle were about to push them over and they were starting to eat. The, they wouldn't eat them off the ground, but they'd eat them out of the sack. And that's money to us. About 200 yards away, my dad looked on the back porch where we were weighing some and he said, son, the cows are down there in those pecans. Run down there and get them out of those pecans. I give you two guesses, and the first one don't count what happened in my mind. I'm, a, I'm about 10 years old, and, and I've got to run 200 yards. There's about 30 head of cattle, and they're all over the pecans. And he said, now. My dad never said things twice. Uh, so I took off just with everything I had. I ran out of the yard, past the chicken coop, past the barn and the corral. I went all the way down over a terrace, over a little creek, and here was the pecan orchard, and here were those cattle. And when I went by the barn, I grabbed about a four-foot stick, and uh, I ran by. I, I, I was scared of my dad. I was scared of my dad. Because if I didn't do that, I, I was scared of my dad. <laughs> I ran down there and I decided I'd do what he did. I jumped over that terrace. There's all those cows and cattle. Rah, get out of here. And I screamed. They all took off. And for about two seconds, I was wonderful. And that cow turned and here she came. This time, I don't have a corral to jump under. I'm in 130 acres and it's wide open and it's just me and her. My heart was beating. I could feel it pressing my eardrums. <laughs> it's in my throat. Here she came. I, out of pure fear, I just came. I, she came at me. I hit her with everything I had across the left side of her face. And she kind of turned sideways. And I tell you, I turned and kicked her under the stomach and screamed as loud as I could. And she took off and I'm Tarzan. 
<laughs> what a man. But a few victories like that will help you. Satan will intimidate you if you'll let him. He'll bluff you if you let him. He'll come at you with fear like you cannot imagine. Every time there's a negative in life, this enemy of ours is faithful to try to destroy everything you gain spiritually. And he's a master at it. And let me tell you, some of us have been serving the Lord since, since we were children, and that could be over 40, 50, 60 years. But I want to tell you, Satan never gives up. I want us to talk about the God today in a different way because I want to tell you, my Father God is not bluffed by anything, anyone, at any time, any place. We need that kind of confidence in these young people. We need that confidence as parents. So let me, let me set this up. I don't have to tell you our world is an extremely complicated today. This political debacle we have going on, civil upheaval all over the world, and when we bring it to personal things about the pressures and the demands that we have and all the, all the, the schedule that just literally controls our life. I want to declare to you, if you don't keep a biblical perspective, it can affect us even as faithful believers. The longer I live, the more I experience, the more important a biblical perspective is. More pointedly, a perspective of God Himself. If we do not view this world like God in His Word does, we're going to miss everything God has for us, but we're also going to struggle trying to maintain faith. Israel is in Babylonian captivity. Some of them are in dire straits as slaves. Some of them are on the outskirts and they are actually allowed to own businesses. But yet they are not in the biblical homeland. They are not in the promised land. They are out of the will of God. A generation that remembers Judah and Jerusalem and the generation that spoke Hebrew is now dead. They have been there for 70 years. A generation has died off. So the second generation only had three things on which they could depend. They could depend on the old prophet's words. They could depend on the learned history. And they could depend upon the promise that God said, I will take you back to the promised land. But I want to declare, contesting or contesting every promise of God, everything God had showed them was this. The grandeur, the power, and the control of Babylon. And I want to share with you, sometimes what we see can be so impressive that it can intimidate what we know in the Spirit. Satan gets us to looking constantly with just our physical eyes and we forget our spiritual eyes. Add to that, many exiles had developed businesses, I said. They became wealthy, and they felt like they were secure where they were. They were the, the part that was bondage, but they didn't have it bad. So to some, to think of leaving Babylon and take a 700-mile march across treacherous terrain, desert-like conditions, taking only what they could carry in a cart, all of that based upon an Un, uh, to date, an unfilled promise of God, that was a risk that provoked second thoughts. Have you ever been in a bind? Have you ever been in a place of decision 
and you are betwixt in a decision. Fear is powerful. It's paralyzing. Your enemy knows it. He will use it. God called Isaiah to speak to the Israel. In Isaiah 40, God promised he would be their knowledgeable, strong, yet tender shepherd. One of the great things about life that God has given us, we all have choice. So I want to share something with you. We have choice as to how we live and what we do or do not allow God or the enemy Satan to do in our lives. Years ago I read a book called Yes or No. It was, the author was Spencer Johnson. It's been a long time ago. But one of the key questions he determined leading to effective decision making is this question. He said, ask yourself this. What would I decide if I were not afraid at all? And I think there's some things to that to understand, especially if we live in faith. God asked Israel to consider the question. But he gave them freedom from fear. He gave them freedom from fear based on this. He announced to them, he transcended everything in creation. Everything. He's the creator. He's the controller. He's the caretaker of all the planets, all creation. So I want you to hear his instructions. And I want us to place it in our hearts today. Because, young people... There will be so many messages if the Lord tarries to try to buy for your hearing. And there will be so many reasonable things that Satan will bring to blinded minds. And it will sound like it's so sensible. But I want you to understand, human reasoning sometimes does not match this eternal word. Mom and Dad say amen. So I, God declared, first of all, He was transcendent over all the nations. Ladies and gentlemen, we should not be afraid of what's going to happen across the nations in our day and time. Look at verse 12 of chapter 40. Listen to God's declaration. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with the span, calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or has or as his counselor taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? God declares this, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, the and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. I want to tell you, this world does not have the final say. God says, I'm over it all. And watch this. For Israel to declare their intention to return from slavery to the promised land Israel... Their fear was it might incite rebellion in Babylon and we'd get all of our privileges taken away. We'll be prisoners in much worse shape. Satan always takes you in that fear road. Babylon was reputed, because it was an Arab nation, was reputed to be a vicious-natured people. They were very cruel people. And to deal with Israel's fear of Babylon... 
God asks some questions. And every question, if you read it with me, he deals with the omnipotence of God. God's power, not Babylon's strength. Not their ruler, nobody. And I, can I tell you, give me a little room almost as a sense of, of humor. God asks, who's measured the waters and the seas in the, his hand like I have? Who's measured the span of heaven across his hand like I have? Who calculated the dust and put it in a cup to measure it? He, who weighed the mountains in a scale of balance? And the answer, of course, is obvious, no one. But the genuine answer is in Romans 1 and 20, where God says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen by understanding by things that are made, even his eternal Power in the Godhead. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a powerful verse of Scripture for us to know. Nothing surprises God. God's never been nervous. God's never staged a going out of business sale. I love to say this. Some of you know what I'm going to say. God's never said, oops. God's never said, uh-oh. God is. He is and He's sovereign. He goes on to give them another set of questions. Kings are only as wise as their counsel. And the courts of earthly kings, they will fill their counsel with scribes and with wise men and priests. And some of them even go to the dark spirit world and they will consult witches and sorcerers. Against human wisdom, wisdom, God acts. Listen to what he said. Who directs the spirit of the Lord? Who are his counselors? Who instructs God? He's taught, who has taught him justice, knowledge, and understanding? And again, the answer is obvious. So to quell the fears of the then world, and can I say the present world, the Holy Spirit, verse 15, we read it, used the word behold. It's as if God says, I want to lift this veil that Satan's trying to sell you. I want to lift it. God makes a declaration. The nations are as nothing to me, like drops in a bucket. He goes on to declare, all the world and all the animals and all the wood in the Lebanon forest are not sufficient to make a burnt sacrifice at the presence of God to atone for the sins of man. God has made his case. And because he is transcendent over all nations, he is saying to his children, do not fear the power of Babylon. I want to say to you today, from the the prophetic word of God, God is transcendent over this moment, over history, and over everything in the future. Do not fear the power of this world. Amen. Number two, he transcends over, watch this, graven images. Look at verse 18 with me. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Watch these words. He's talking about men making their own gods. The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. (laughs) 
if you were there looking around Babylon, and I've been to Greek, I, I want to tell you that world is still that way. I, my wife and I were privileged to go to Athens several years ago. I've never seen so many carved images of devils and demons and gods and all that. That world is filled with that. And when Israel was in Babylon, they would see these exquisite handiwork of statues of all kinds of gods that represented the empire of Babylon. And even though Israel remembered the second commandment of the law of Moses, how many of you know the Ten Commandments? How many of you know God requires some things of us? How many of you know them? And how many of us are tempted to disobey them sometimes out of fear? Sometimes out of question. They would see all this knowing no other gods, no graven images. Still, they nursed the fear of trusting in a God whom they could not see. Sometimes the images that we see are so real, we just have difficulty keeping faith. It's like the little girl asleep in her bedroom at night, awakened fearful. Mommy, can you come to my room? And mommy calls back and says, Your God is with you, darling. He's with you. And the little girl responded, But mommy, I want a God with a face. Have you ever been in a place where you want God? You say, God, where are you? Lord, I need to see something here. God, my faith is about unraveled. I need, I need something in this natural realm. Honesty demands that we all confess that same need. But can I declare to you that sometimes a spirit-filled, discerning, saved you, you are the face of God sometimes in some people's problems. And we need to be close enough to the Father and we need to be in relationship enough to the Father that when He speaks to us and says, go to brother or sister or call them and pray, we ought to be obedient and full of the Spirit enough that we can become God's hand and face extended. I believe the Lord wants that out of all of us. And by the way, Yahweh had not spoken in Israel for a full generation. And here's Isaiah now. And, and so they're struggling with their faith. It's like the little boy, like the little girl, also called from his dark bedroom to his mother. And he said, Mommy, I'm scared. And Mom's response was this. The Lord is with you. And he said, Mom, tell him not to move. He'll scare me to death. Tell him not to move. He'll scare me to death. I wonder sometime if the Lord really moved if we would be spiritually prepared for it. So God asked this nation, to whom will you liken me? He's talking about all these images. How would you carve me? How would you form me? What do you think I look like? And then he compares the invisible Spirit of God to a graven image of the skilled, most skilled craftsman. And he says, the poor of Babylon would seek out the hardest wood to carve out their gods so it wouldn't rot in due process of time. And the wealthy, to keep it from rotting, they would overlay the idol with gold and make it special. And then both of them must be chained to the wall 
to, with a silver chain, you read it, to keep it from falling over, their, keep their God from falling over. <laughs> can, can I, can, can, give me a little room to, I, I can almost hear God laugh. Babylonians, best craftsmen, using products created by God to build their gods. And they're all subject to God's law, His law of gravity. They can't even stand on their own. They can't hear. They can't see. They can't respond. They can't move. They're lifeless. They're powerless. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, no comparisons could be made between earthbound graven images and the eternal living transcendent God of creation. <coughs> Excuse me. Young people, don't, mom and dad, don't you let anybody challenge the Lord. He's the only prophet that was the only son of God. He's the only one that died for us. He's the only one that paid for our sins. He's the only one that was resurrected and conquered death. He's the only one sitting that got ascended, that is ascending at the right hand of the Father and that's coming back for us and prepared a heaven for us and a lot of blessing. So don't equal him to any other prophet that's ever lived. No wonder he said, there's only one way. I know this sounds doctrinal, but young people like mom and dad, I want you to hear it. Thirdly, God says, I rule over all the rulers. Babylon was under dictatorship. Rulers that were wicked and evil. Their reputations were ruthless slaughter and drunken orgies. Read about it at Belshazzar, one of them who had his party. If we try to leave Babylon, Israel was thinking, perhaps it'll cause a holocaust and they'll kill us. But listen to God. It's almost like, in my mind, a rapid fire of questions. Listen to how God responded and tell them I rule over all the rulers. Verse 21, if you'll follow. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princesses to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. <laughs> Pastor, what are you laughing? Listen, all these guys who, who are so drunk on their own power that rule over nations in dictatorships eventually wind up in the dust and blown away like winter chaff. That's what God says. God, one thing stands out when you realize about the history of Israel, and it is this. And we fail to do it in this nation, and I'm going to tell you that's why we're reaping a I think a whirlwind. I want to tell you the education system in America, ladies and gentlemen, needs prayer. And I'm not talking about good teachers and I'm not talking about people with principle. I'm talking about the indoctrination that's going on in our education system. One thing about Israel, they teach their children their heritage. And in, his, in this transcendent God, they taught him, he sits on the throne high above the circle of the earth and he sees the inhabitants of the planet as grasshoppers. And let's go back just for a moment when it was time to cross and take the land, the promised land. Do you see how God's perspective is men are grasshoppers? Do you see in fear 
what those 12 spies saw when they were going into the land of honey. They said, we are, they are like giants in our eyes. Yeah. Well, they were grasshoppers in God's eyes. We have to keep that kind of perspective. We have to keep our spirit eyes open, ladies and gentlemen, or we're going to miss so much of what God has planned for us. From God's exalted position, rulers, whom Israel fears, can and will be brought down. At best, their reign is temporary. And God said they're like vegetation that grows and the winter winds blow them away. Saints never doubt our true God. And let's never be impatient with God because He's the one who sets up the rulers and puts them down. And God knows what's going on even in our own nation today. Number four, God transcends all gods. You went, Pastor, wait a minute. We just got through talking about that. Watch this. Verse 24. Scarcely shall they be planted... Scarcely shall they be sown, verse 24. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth. When he will also blow on them, they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or whom shall I be equal, says the Lord. He goes on to say, lift up your eyes on high. Get your perspective right. And see who has created these things, who brought out their host by number. He calls them by name. He's talking about the stars and the moon and the sun and the planets and all the creation. He calls them by name. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. Pastor, what is this talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, young people, statutes of God made out of raw materials are one thing. But what about, and it's in our world today, it is inundated all over this world. What about the gods of Babylon at that time that God addressed that we know about today? What are they about the part of creation? I'm talking about astrological gods and the stars and the creations. After all, stars are a part of God's creation. And the reading of the stars is occasionally used by God. He used the star himself to announce the birth of his son, Messiah. So using the same questions as he did about the images. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? Look up. It's all my creation. And God said, I am not like those images. And I'm not even like the gods that you think exist in all these stars and the mercy. I named them. I made them. I planned them. I put them in a system. I set them in motion. And not one is missing. Nothing happens in all creation but what I don't direct it. And today, men still try to substitute astrology for the Lord of the universe. Don't you ever buy it. Come on, parents, say amen horoscopes and psychic readings, shaman and chandlers and witch doctors and demons, medians, fortune cookies, new age adherents, mix astrology with world religion and even some of our leaders read their horoscopes. You've got to be kidding me. It's an insult to God. Just to be plain about it. 
It shows their absolute lack of knowledge of this book and their lack of concept about what an omnipotent sovereign sits in the high circle on the earth. Aren't you glad for that kind of God? Pastor, why do you get so excited? I'll tell you why. Because this world doesn't know that God. Ladies and gentlemen, if creation is worshipped, if creation is worshipped above the Creator, it is idolatry. And God said, have nothing to do with that astrology. So, God let fearful Israel know, He, the Holy One, had created it all. He controls it and cares for it all. The stars transcend it over all belief systems. Lastly, is this one. He's transcended over all powers. And here's what I don't want us to miss. I could say this like I do sometimes. That's all the introduction. This point is the message. Okay? God says, I'm transcending over all the powers. Look with me at verse 38. But don't miss this. When we read it, he not only says he's over all the powers, he tells us, you and me, in 2020, how we can be victorious no matter what day comes. Here it is, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God said, I rule over all the powers. And if you want to tap in to the absolute, omnipotent, sovereign power of eternity, spend time with me. Sorry. I think God asks us the same questions. Why are you despondent? Why, why do you cry to me that my way is hidden from you? Do you not remember? And I say this, Christ's legacy, everyone on Facebook today, everyone under the sound of my voice, God says in this last day, I am the creator. I am the everlasting. I am not exhausted. I am not weary. I, I know everything. I always have plenty. And then God offers the exiles their final resolution about their fears and all this returning to Jerusalem, all the national scene that they saw like we see today. Here's the promise I want to give to you this morning. God says to you, let me just tell you, last Thursday I had spent almost a week every evening in the hospital with this young lady watching Satan use the curse of cancer to take her body. One of the saddest things I've ever been involved in. By the time that 10 days rolled around and then I had to seek the Lord for her, a word about her for her funeral service. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when that was over, I, I was exhausted. After we left the interment at the cemetery, 
we were driving and on the way home, I think I mentioned this up front. I don't, I just so weary, I just cried. Yeah, the big boy cried. I'm just weary. You ever been so weary? Tired, you just want to cry. Can I tell you that God, I'm going to preach a message. I, I had a message I preached 40 years ago. It's about your tears and what happens to them. Don't think that God forgets them. And I just cried on the way home. Just overwhelmed. And I thought about this. Here's the great exchange for 2020 that I want us to know. God says, I will exchange my power for your weakness. So take it to him. Wait on me. I will exchange my strength for your weariness. So go exchange it with him. Your energy will be like the vigor of a youth, like mounting the wings of eagles. God's great exchange. And Israel, having heard that and went to God, got ready for a 700-mile journey that was completely victorious. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not in Babylonian captivity today, but believe you me, there's plenty to imprison you if you will allow it. And we, we know we're in a last day dilemma. I want us as God's people to let the Holy Spirit speak through Isaiah to them and to us. And here's what I, in the message. When you see people lie and cheat and steal, when you see the ugliness... Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm weary of the sarcasm that comes across our television screens today. I'm weary of, and please don't, I'm weary of, 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 of adults acting like seven-year-olds. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Pathetic in our nation. Pitiful. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm talking about the mindset and the spirit that's cast across this nation. Don't you be fooled by that. Hear God's word and I'll be through. I, I'm over all the nations. <laughs> Graven images. Nothing. All the rulers and governments I have it quite in hand. All other gods of astronomy and all that they make up and all the yin and the yang that tries to tell everybody the black and white half circle and move that good and evil come out of the same thing. Don't you believe that? Don't you ever wear one of them? Don't even let it be in your house. It's trying to diminish God. All other gods, all other powers. And God just says, I want to let you know, I have good intentions for you. I'm going to let you finish this journey and I'm going to let you get home because I'm going to make you a great exchange. Just spend time with me. Am I talking to some here this day that our pressures and our demands and our schedules and everything that is so entangled in our lives robs us from time and intimacy with God? 
And can I tell you that there are times when your pastor runs on raw nerve and I think I don't have time to be with the Lord. I want to tell you, God does know how to slow us down. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are going to be much for God, we must be much with God. Except by the power of God, none of us in this room can stand against the enemy. He has 6,000 years experience on every one of us. But with God, our companion, God said, I'll make the great exchange. Wherever you're weak, I'll make you strong. When you're weary, I'll give you energy and nourishment and fulfillment. And I'll put the power of my spirit in your life. And you can do what I've asked you to do.